The uh, other night, my wife and I went out for dinner with some old students of mine. The restaurant we chose was one of those new shishi vegetarian places downtown that serves small plates at big place prices. The restaurant was full, and to our left and right, we had neighbors. And after we finished the dinner, we said our goodbyes and started walking back to the car. And my wife asked me, did you notice the couple to your right? And I said, no. They were speaking French. I have to add, my wife, in her early years, spent a number of summers in Quebec on a government language program. She said they were speaking French, and they were staring at you. So now I have to add what is probably obvious to you, that I was wearing a kippah. And we stepped into the car, and the conversation about the dinner went somewhere else. She said to me that she didn't notice it at first. It was pointed out to her by one of the other diners that she had said that they were staring so much that she felt as if she wanted to ask them if there was a problem. But in her heart, she said she knew what the answer was. And she added, I would have never expected to see that in Toronto. Jews have been living in North America, particularly in what is now the United States, since the 17th century. Until six months ago, the last firearm attack in the synagogue was in 1966. The only victim of that one was the synagogue rabbi, Morris Adler. It was during Shabbat morning services. The perpetrator was a young man whose family were longtime members of the congregation. He was unwell, suffering from terrible psychotic events, when he stood up that morning in shul and waved a pistol at the rabbi. Congregants stood up to rush the young man and disarm him, but Rabbi Adler, who had been counseling the man, told everyone to sit down and be calm. But there was nothing to fear, he said. A moment later, he was shot multiple times, and a few weeks later, he died. That was February 1966. 1966. In the past months, the past six months, we've now seen two. In six months. The first, as so many of you know, occurred in Pittsburgh. The second in Poway, California. The first elicited wall-to-wall coverage on CNN and nearly every major newspaper and news outlet. The second, well, not so much. Yes, of course, it was covered, but not the way that Pittsburgh was. I mean, Anderson Cooper didn't go to Poway. He worked out of his studio interviewing people. After Pittsburgh, Jews and other people of faith attended synagogues around the country. On that Shabbat following the events, in record numbers to show their solidarity and strength. After Poway, there was a lot of silence. Which is to say that one of the dangers of these events is that first there are victims and people are wounded and people die. And the second, the second danger is that people get used to hearing about shootings at synagogues. And they start saying, oh, another one? Where was it this time? And if it continues to happen, and this morning I have no intention of dissecting of what the future may or may not hold, But if this continues to happen, we will be on uncharted ground in this part of the world. 
at the Pittsburgh discussions erupted in Toronto and elsewhere in Canada and the United States about security in synagogues. And last week after Poway, people were sending me emails that they were sent from other local synagogues in Toronto, where one announced that they had just installed 20 new security cameras, bulletproof glass, improved lighting, and patrols. The other announced that they had just installed magnetic locks on all their doors, and the building would now no longer be open. And logically, they all asked me what we, Beth Shalom Synagogue, were going to do to improve our security in the light of these events. And they were right to ask the question. But I have two answers, because I'm a rabbi. You see, Jewish tradition is filled with records of debates and disagreements over laws and observances. The most famous of these debates is between two ancient rabbinic giants, Hillel and Shammai. And in almost every case, the law is decided in favor of Hillel and against Shammai. But Jewish tradition is quick to point out to us that this isn't to say that Shammai was wrong. It is only to say that at some point you have to make a decision. So I have two answers. One is true, and the other is right. But in the end, we need to make a decision. If you've been to Europe, and you visited synagogues and other Jewish institutions there, you are a witness to a level of security that you don't see even in government buildings, or even foreign embassies. First of all, Jewish institutions in Europe are seldom, if ever, labeled with signs from the outside. Then the requirement to fax your passport in advance of the visiting, then usually passing on to a street that's been closed off to car traffic, and now patrolled by armed national police. Then you pass through a checkpoint, then a metal detector, then a lockdown vestibule, before passing into the building itself. A very good friend of mine who is a well-known Israeli public intellectual was denied access in a shul in Rome on a Shabbat morning because he didn't send his passport in advance and he was only able to get in when the rabbi recognized him. And yet despite this oppressive array of security around synagogues and Jewish schools and institutions, does any of us actually believe that Jews in Europe actually feel safer. Does anyone here believe that if we put up a ring of concrete balustrades around this building, if we install magnetic locks on all of our doors, if we wrap this building in cameras and bulletproof our glass and increase our guards, do you think that we will be safer? Do you believe that? I have my answers that I'm going to share with you in a little while. But first, let us now turn our hearts and pray. Everyone, please rise on page 368. <clears throat> so I left you with a question, and I'm going to give you answers. The question I left you with was, should we surround this building with concrete balustrades, wrap it in bulletproof glass, have armed guards outside, and cameras all the way around. 
The truth of the matter is, I ask you if that would make us safer. My answer is, it'll save lives. But I don't believe that it'll make us safer. The true answer is, is that we should draw the line and say no. That we're not going to build walls and we're not going to hide. We're not going to create an atmosphere and reinforce fear and intimidation. That's the true answer. But it's not the right answer. The sad truth is, once you install those security cameras, once you put those concrete balustrades up, once you bulletproof your, gra your glass, you never go back. It's like that forever. And while that's the true answer, the right answer is, we find in Judaism, whenever there is a clash between human life and principle, the principle always is put aside and we preserve human life. On Shabbat, if someone is sick and they need to be driven to the hospital, we drive them to the hospital. On Yom Kippur, if an ill person needs to be fed, we feed them. And the turn of the last century, when they discovered the telegram, European rabbis, some of them permitted on Shabbat to send the telegram of the Hebrew name of a sick person to another rabbi to have them say prayers for them, to help save their life. Time and time again in Jewish tradition we find that when there is a conflict between human life and principle, the principle moves to the side and human life is always preserved. So we will install more security cameras and we will bulletproof all of our glass. Some of it is already. You can't open windows for fresh air anymore. We'll have more guards. But it will be a sad day when we do that. That our children and grandchildren will view being Jewish and coming to Jewish institutions as people and places of danger and intimidation. And that is as hard and honest truth and I can muster on this morning about that. It will be a sad day and a terrible one. But as many of you know, I'm an optimist. And I'm not going to leave you on a down note. In 1956, in the Israeli town of Kfar Chabad, which is 20 miles southeast of where modern-day Tel Aviv is, five students were murdered in an attack, a terrorist attack. And this town was filled mostly with Russian religious immigrants who were followers of the late Lubavitcher Rebbe. Back then, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have faxes. International phone calls were unreliable, and international posts could take weeks. And they needed direction as to what to do. Many of them wanted to close the village, the town down, and disperse throughout the country. And they asked the Rebbe, what should they do? Four days later, the telegram comes back. The news goes all throughout the town that the telegram arrived, and that night... They gathered all in the town square to hear the advice of what the Rebbe had told them to do. And they read it. It was three words in Hebrew. By your building, you will be comforted. They didn't close the town down. And the spot where the attack occurred they built a school to teach disadvantaged children how to print as a trade. 
in these difficult moments, even as we build walls to protect ourselves, we must remember what we're here for. Our message as a people is not to hide and not to shrink. We are here to hope and to build. And we must continue to do that, no matter what the circumstances. Shabbat Shalom.